last week we talked about in those parables that you know, Christ is the man, that we could be the treasure that he's seeking out and he's finding us. Maybe we haven't let him have that yet. Others is that we're the man looking for treasures and other people are out there waiting to be found. They're waiting. You know, and the last one is that you're the man and Jesus is the treasure. He's that, and just you haven't opened that yet. You haven't made that commitment. So um, it was really cool. So if you haven't already, I'd love to imagine a place where everyone in our family values people and looked at them the way God looks at us. You know, and just thinking about that from last week, moving into this week, um, I would love to talk about, you know, imagining a place where we love our neighbors. It's really something I'd love to push you guys with this week. I am too tall for this. Sorry, Doug. I'm like leaning over, my back's hurting. Before we get too ahead, I should probably introduce myself. Uh, I'm, my name's William, and Normally, people know me as the loudest guy in the room. Uh, it's just always kind of been the shtick I've been stuck with. I'm a big, tall, loud person, a lot of energy. And it's cool to say that coming up here, you know, I've been really given a run for my money, which is fun. So a bunch of lighthearted people, uh, which is great. And I just spent the last 10 years doing the Navy, bouncing around with my family, my wife, and four kids. It's been a wild. But really, what I'd love to share with you guys to kind of, because why am I up here, right? Uh, who I was, because before Christ, like a lot of us were, I was lost. I was looking for purpose and meaning in my life, and I was looking to feel loved. And I was trying to find that in the world, through women, you know, these things that my parents were encouraging, but I just didn't feel that love I needed to the point where, you know, even at the age of 17, you know, I thought about ending myself. And for just silly things. And it wasn't until a guy named Dave stepped into my life, loved me, and encouraged me and spent time with me and really modeled what it looked like to have values and meaning beyond just himself that really changed me. And, uh, and that's why I'm here today. You know, it's because someone spent the time to dive into my life and encourage me and to be with me. And that's kind of what I want to talk about with you guys today as we're moving through, is that same idea of, well, what does that look like, right? And so for today's reading, we're going to be in Luke 10. If you guys want to open up your Bibles, uh, starting at chapter, or Luke 10, starting at verse 25. Give everyone a second to open up. If you don't, I always strongly recommend paper Bibles are the way to go if you can. It's just muscle memory. You know where it's at on the page. You know, highlighting stuff. Helps self-retain. So, and I love to walk through this chapter with you guys and just kind of walk through the verses a bit and kind of see you know, where the Lord takes us a little bit. But, um, but before we dive in, a lot of your Bibles, when we get to this part of Scripture, it has a heading, right? For the ESV mind, says the parable of the good Samaritan. Right? So I came to meet Christ at the day after my 18th birthday, which I'm so incredibly grateful for, right? But even before then, I thought I knew what a Samaritan was. It was just a common term, colloquialism. Like, we all know what a Samaritan is, right? And so the Oxford Dictionary actually defines a Samaritan, the first definition, as a charitable or helpful person. And so I don't know about anybody else, but when I had approached this passage of Scripture for the first time, I'm like, oh, so a good, good person. Right? So the parable of a good, nice person. Like, that, okay, cool. About good people, right? And what's so cool and interesting is that the idea, that cultural idea that a Samaritan means you're a person or a good person is not at all the angle that Christ was teaching from. Arguably, it'd be the opposite. Right? So to the Jewish people of their day, you know, the history there is much more complicated than that. The Samaritans were known as half-breeds. Uh, and if you look through it, it's, it's really wonderful. But if you look through it and you see, like, there's this, this been years of documented strife and break between them. So going into this, even just the header of your scriptures, the Good Samaritan, 
You know, this idea, if I had told this to someone at the day, like, oh, let me tell you the story of the Good Samaritan. Like, a Good Samaritan? That's ridiculous, you know? That just doesn't make any sense. It's like saying a good communist, you know? Maybe a little different, but some close, right? Which is something to think about. So even before we get into this, challenge our own preconceived expectations of what do we think this is going to be about or how are we filtering it through. Because we start to read through. He says, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So again, that first line there, a lawyer. Again, we think of lawyer today, or at least I do a lot of times, so we think of somebody who studies the law. Easy. Well, what laws? The laws of the traffic signs and the laws of, you know, don't kill people, right? Simple stuff, right? But what's really interesting is we think about uh, the NIV actually defines this as an expert in the law or the law, right? And so something to remember, too, that in this era, the context when Christ is teaching about it, to study the law is to study everything. Like, this isn't just making sure that I don't get in trouble with the law, right? Or that I can help someone out if they get in trouble with the law, and that's my business. But to be this expert in the law means I've studied the scriptures, this thing that defines my entire way of life. And not just my way of life because I've made a choice, but my entire people's way of life, our cultural identity, right? So just thinking again, so this, this lawyer is, is a bit more than that. And then, so what shall I do? He says, and he says to him, so Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? That line really struck me to the core. I was reading through this and thinking about that. Because he knows who he is. So what's written in the law? You already have it. How do you read it? That's something, a question I'd like to ask everybody today. And something I've asked myself is, how often do we look for answers in other people? How often do we look to teachers and leaders and spouses and friends and the internet just for answers for life when a lot of times there's an answer right there that says, well, how do you read it? What does the law say? So often I get asked by friends and family who aren't believers, and they're like, well, why doesn't God give me a sign? Why don't, why don't I have these miraculous experiences, you know? Why doesn't he answer all my questions when I have them? You know, I, I, I need these. And I was reading through this, and, you know, hopefully when I can stop in the memory bank and say, well, what, is the, what does it say? How do you read it? Have you not seen what's already been documented? Right? Is there already a precedence for this question, for these issues? There's so much in life that I think we spend struggling and, and chewing on. And these, I don't know what to do next moments. Lord, give me a sign. I don't know what to do next. But the reality is there's so often, Jesus has already taught on that subject. Lord, I don't know what to do with my extra money each month. How do, how do I give? Well, Lord, he's already taught on that. You know, and so just encouragement there is it's already there. How do you read it? It's a great question for ourselves. Verse 27, he says, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So these are the, a lot of times they're called the great commandments, or the two great commandments. And what's really cool is these are not just spot off the dome. These aren't opinions. These aren't things that he just thought of. These are actually commandments from the law of Moses that he is referencing. So the first one, which a lot of people know, uh, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, right? That actually comes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. Um, a lot of times also known as Shmi'ah. But what's really cool about this is the Israel people, a little fact about them, that this is a prayer they would pray daily. And it, the, the part in Deuteronomy says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Um, and what's so cool about that is like, awesome. 
And this is the words Moses is giving to his people. So, okay, cool. So when he drops this reference, it is a reference. So the lawyer is referencing scripture. And the second one uh, is actually from Leviticus 19.18, which is really awesome. So again, it's not just a personalized summary. He didn't just decide and love your neighbor's health is how I would summarize it. Again, this isn't. He's directly quoting the scriptures. Uh, you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love the Lord or love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And what's really cool, and I would encourage everyone to go back and read through there, that whole section right there, Leviticus 19, he's giving these laws about how we interact with people. And this final line summarizes it before he moves topics and he says, but, but, it's all these no's. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But to summarize all that, the Lord says, but love your neighbor as yourself. So awesome, so encouraging. And the weight of that is awesome. So these are straight out of the scriptures and the scriptures. So double dip. But he has this. He has this correct answer. But Jesus' response is, do this and you will live. So do this, right? It's really cool. And I think that verb there is really powerful. Do this and you will live. Because rather right now, if you didn't already know, now you know the answer. What do you do to inherit eternal life? We just, we just gave it to each other. It's do this, right? And again, I'd love a question for ourselves is, how often do we know the right answer, but just don't do it? Me, it's unfortunately, I'd like to say weekly, but it's probably daily. Let's just be honest. Let's just be humble, right? You know, I make a lot of mistakes, and if you ask my wife, I'm sure she'll a nice itemized list. <laughs> but, uh, but the reality is that just, it's so often we know the right answer to do something. Uh, and there's so many different avenues it comes from. It could come from our conscience. Sometimes it just doesn't feel right. You know, and you might be really, you know, know the Holy Spirit speaking to you and say, hey, this is wrong. You should be doing this. Or even it could just be what you've studied and learned of the law, the law that you've studied, the word of God. You know, you've, or it could be the values that you were raised with. You know, my mom and dad didn't raise me this way. But there's so often that we go into situations knowing that what we're doing is wrong or we should be doing the right thing, but we just don't do it. I love something I was taught so early on in my faith, and I was so thankful for that. Following Jesus may not always be easy, but he's made it simple. He really has. But he never promised an easy way. If you read through the scriptures, there's a lot of dying to yourself, carrying crosses, selling all that you have, like, a lot of work. <laughs> but the promises are, are eternal life. Like, it all balances out. And for a lot of folks, we stop right there. But what, what really blows my mind is the next line. When we get to uh, Luke 10, 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I am so thankful that Luke took the time to explain the why. This desire to justify himself. Right? Again, he knows the answer. He knows how to, he knew the right answer, but he's desiring to justify himself. That same question of why don't we do the right thing? Why are we not following through with what we've already been taught? You know, we've been here, we've made it this far, and you haven't slammed into the wall yet. So, but so often we're desiring to justify ourselves. So, like, well, but I want this. But isn't this enough? Or haven't I already gone so far? Right? Like, like, but look, yes, you're right. Yes, but in this context, 
this is different. Or like, I know I should forgive my mom, but you don't, you don't know what she did, right? Or she's still doing, or you, know, you just don't know, you don't get it, it's different, right? And there's just this desire to justify ourselves, right? And there's just this tension, I think, between this idea of this justification, right? I want this justification, right? But I would argue that if we're desiring justification, then you're fully focusing on me. It's a, it's a very selfish mindset to live through. But Lord, what about me? Me, Lord? You know? And if we go back to that first one, well, what's the first one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And your neighbor is yourself, right? There is no, you know, it's, it's love other people. These are outwardly focused, right? So there's a big conflict there between this justification and this surrendering, this choice, right? And I'm really glad we're not just stuck there, but Jesus gives a beautiful parable to explain it. So going into 1030, we're kind of setting the scene here, right? <clears throat> so Jesus replies, oh, by the way, I've never had a teacher like this, but if you guys ever have a teacher who when you ask him a question, hey, what about this? There was a man going down the road. Like, it's, it's got to be so frustrating sometimes. If someone's going, you ask someone a question, and he just breaks into story. Like, I don't know about you, but man, people got to have some patience. <laughs> it's a good thing he, the story's made sense, because I would be frustrated. It's like, just tell me where I'm going. But sure enough, perfect teacher. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, again, there's so many wonderful context clues we miss, right? But this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was famous for being deadly, for robbers and murderers. Like, it's just, it's spooky, right? Uh, and so the moment he says that, people are like, oh. and sure enough, he, he walked the dangerous road and he got hurt. Like, that's what you get, right? You walk the dangerous road, you got hurt. That's what happens to you. Uh, <clears throat> it's treacherous. And then we keep going. We see there's a bunch of other characters in this parable. I could stop losing my place. <laughs> now, he says, and in 31 it says, Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So now we've entered in the story two more people. So we've got the man on the road, right? We don't know anything about him. Except he's a man. And then we've got this priest, and a Levite. So if you don't know, a priest and a Levite, they, those are special terms. Now you can kind of think about what a priest is. It's a little different, but we've got teachers and pastors, and we've got deacons or reverends, fathers, you name it. There's priests out there, right? And we can think about these holy men. That's a good term for it, right? These holy men who've been set apart. They wear a cloth or they wear slacks or whatever it is, you know, but they look different. They're supposed to be different. They're supposed to be the chosen, the proud, you know, the priests. But uh, these important people who have committed their lives. But now the priests in that time, and to kind of explain what the Levite is, right? So if you take it all the way back to Abraham. Explain this to my kid, you know, Father Abraham, had many sons. Uh, but he did. And if you hop a couple generations, he eventually ends up having, you know, he had Isaac. Isaac had Israel, and Israel had 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel, which become all the Jewish nation. We make it then to the story of Moses, uh, Joseph, then to Moses, down into the wilderness, and they come back and take the promised land. And these tribes set up 
all the rest of it. Now, all of these people were promised land except the tribe of Levite. They weren't promised any land. They got the honor and the glory of serving in the temple. Their entire life, their entire plan was defined by service to God. They didn't get to grow their own food. They didn't get to hunt their own food. Everything, all of their provision came from being fully reliant on the Lord and the offerings of others. So, oh my, it was in their best interest that you sinned, so they got to eat more when you gave up offerings, you know? <laughs> but, this again, these people who are supposed to be fully devout, they're, again, not just an individual person, but their entire community. All the Levites have committed their entire people, their children, their children's children. You are a Levite, and you live fully dependent on God. You don't even get a job. Your job is you get the joy to serve. Again, and then you have these priests amongst the Levites, these priests, these sons of Aaron, who are called above that right, who are especially, have a special role, right? So all of that to say, and then they walked on the other side of the road. Now these, are, these are just, these are supposed to be the best of the best. Now, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, and so hopefully the priest, because he's leaving Jerusalem, and he's going to Jericho, maybe he's got work to do. You know, maybe he, he's got a funeral, or he's going to a conference, or I don't know, he's got some kind of workshop or meeting he's going to, and, and so hopefully... He's made the decision of, well, well, if I touch this half-dead man, who might be dead, we don't know. It's just a guy on the road, bloodied out. It's a road of robbers. Happens all the time. If I go and touch him, I will be made unclean. And again, it's a fun theological idea of this idea of purity of if you touch a dead body, you've been unclean. Now, you can no longer do a lot of your things. You, the priests and people would no longer do be able to do their job until they went until the rest of the day, they went and purified themselves, had made themselves ceremoniously clean. And so, if they go and even investigate this, the amount of inconvenience it's going to cause, if I'm on my way to, uh, to Jericho and I've got a job to do, and now I'm unclean, like, how am I supposed to do that? And so there's all these potentials of, like, well, what it's going to do to me? What will happen to me if I stop and help this person? And I would argue, that's a lot of what's going to be at. But we see in the next line in 33. But a Samaritan, we already learned a little about them, right? Uh, <clears throat> but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Which is fun, by the way. If you guys look at uh, in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 9, there is an awesome passage talking about the Samaritans. It's the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And so what I love about this, by the way, is the Bible is its own best commentary. There is no better commentary or cross-reference in the Scriptures alone. And so if you look there, the Samaritan woman alone tells you, but we are Samaritans and the Jewish people have no dealings with us. Why are you talking to me? And a lot of times when we read that story, we get really focused on who she is or her backstory, how messed, how messed up her life was. But even before we get to that, the scriptures alone teach us that the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So again, it's just mind-blowing that this person who would have generations of hatred between them. I think it's really hard to even context, contextualize what that feels like today. You know, sees this man. And goes and loves him. And it's so cool. The Bible is a book of understatements. He tends his wounds. So he stops, physically bandages him, tends to whatever happened, which I don't know where those came from. He was left half naked, half dead. So those had to come out of his reserves. Gave him wine to drink on his own donkey, right? 
So he gives up, and now he's, he's inconveniencing himself, putting him on his own donkey, so he has to walk barefoot, well, on the ground, maybe he's not barefoot, but on the ground, and take him to this inn, which he probably wasn't going to stop for the night. If he had it on his donkey, he could move full speed. But I love this line there, and he says, and he stays the night and takes care of him, and he tends to his wounds overnight, it says. And took care of him all night long. Just crazy to me. Next line, it says, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Another pit stop, a denarii, denarii, denarii for both. There's two of them, right? A lot of people would say, if you look at your Bibles and your commentaries, that it's two days' wage. Cool. I have no idea what a day's wage is. I don't know, you guys, but when I read a day's wage, I'm like, I get paid monthly. So I don't know how much I make in a day. So some fun math for you guys. So if on the average, if someone makes $30 an hour for two days' work, they're making $480 before taxes. Just some quick math. So when he says he leaves behind two denarii, he just puts a casual $500 down, and he says, you take care of him. Whatever you need, I'll come back and pay the rest. I don't know about you, but when I say 500, it, it hits a little deeper. It makes a little bit more sense when I realize the significance. You know, I don't always have 500 extra lying around. I would argue it's presumptuous to say this is extra for him either. But he says to him at the end, so which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now again, this lawyer who studied the law, the pride of being an Israelite, I, I am God's chosen people amongst, no one else is like us. Not the Samaritans, not anyone else. I, I just imagine gritting through his teeth, the one who showed mercy. Doesn't even refer to him as a Samaritan. Won't even identify where he's at. Just the one, the one who shows mercy. And again, Jesus says, go and do. Just this radical challenge of, cool. Again, the same commandment from the last time. Nothing changed. Jesus didn't give, okay, now that you got the message, it's a new commandment. Now that you got the message, now you understand your, your follow-on actions. It's the exact same follow-on actions. Go and do. You know the answer from the beginning. Go and do. But as I've been told before, and I've been reminded of recently, just because I say something simple and easy doesn't mean it is simple and easy. Uh, this is a story I'd like to tell everybody. Um, so I kind of mentioned I was in the Navy for a little bit. And years way back, I had a brother of mine in the faith. His name was Josh. And we were loving people. We were encouraging. We were praying together. He's one of four guys on the boat that was committed to the Lord out of like 300. So we were tight. And... I remember talking with him and encouraging him, hey man, so have you been reaching out? Who have you been talking to in your, your workspaces? Like, how is that going? Have you been sharing the God? Like, what's, how, what's going on there? Like, I can't get in there. It's locked doors. Like, what's going on? And he says to me, well, I, I'm not really, I'm being a light. My, my job right now, I, I'm, I'm called, I need to be the light. That's what I'm doing. So what are you doing? Well, I'm being a light. Well, what are you doing? I'm being a light. And I remember just getting caught in this roundabout with him. Um, and so we opened it up together. In Matthew 5, uh, um, flip there real quick. I'd like to share this with everybody. Oh, cool. I should trust the tech. 
You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Cool. And then the second half of the... Yeah, my bad. Cool. So it's just... When I read that, I don't know about anyone else, but when I read this, there's a warning there. This is not an encouraging line. There's a warning. If you lose your saltiness, you're out. But again, talking to Josh, I'm like, well, I've never had salt go bad. So it's hard to empathize with that, you know, unless it gets wet or ruined. But, but what I love with the next line in verse 13, uh, in 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Ah, oh, cool, there's the light. Be a good light. People are going to give glory to God because I'm being a good light. That's awesome. And if we compartmentalize it, that's a great place to stop, I guess. But talking to them is, well, what happens when a light bulb goes out in your house? What's the first thing you do? It gets dark, totally. And then you throw it away. You don't save the light bulb. We don't hold on to it waiting for it. It'll get better. It'll relight itself. And if we stick around, it'll, it'll, you know, one day it'll be good. No, the moment it's lost its usefulness and purpose, it's trash. And I'm sure we all dispose of them properly and like batteries, you know, we just put those in the right disposable recycling containers. Uh, But the reality is that a light bulb has one purpose in life. One. That's it. And it was designed with one purpose. And that's the only thing it's valued as, is that one role. What's so fun about that, too, is a light is defined by what it does. A light lights, right? Like light makes light. And so when something is so prolifically defined by its attributes, we end up with stuff like that. I think that's so incredible. Loving our neighbors is the fundamentals of our faith. It's not something uh, that is extra credit or we're aspiring towards or, you know, when I'm mature and ready and financially ready and emotionally ready, I'm ready to go out and love. And when I do that, oh, man, that guy's loving others. He is going the extra mile for the kingdom. He is, oh, man, you know, that's, that's, that's wild. But that's not what we look at Christians. That's not how we are supposed to be defined. In Acts 11, verse 26, it's the first time the word and the, the body of believers were ever called Christians. This, this name we just throw around so casually nowadays. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for the whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Reading through Acts 11 and what they've been doing, other people saw what was going on in the disciples' lives. If you look at Acts 4.13, it says, Now they were astonished by the boldness of Peter and John, and they recognized that they were common, uneducated men, and they recognized they'd been with Jesus. That's what people were blown away by, our predecessors, our, our, our older brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in the faith, is that people looked at them, and when they looked at them, like, man, you look like Jesus. You look so much like the Christ, I, you gotta, I gotta call you like Christ. When I look at a light bulb, it makes light, so it's a light, right? But that doesn't mean they get any extra credit. It means you've done your job. That means you are fulfilling your calling, and you're just being. Congratulations, you've made it to neutral. Um, 
And the reason I bring that up, and I want to hammer home, is so often that I, in my own life, and in others, we, we run into these situations where, you know, I feel like, well, if I can just go out and I can do a little bit more and I can love my neighbors, well, that'll be enough. That'll make Jesus happy. You know, I went out and I, I, I donated cans to the food drive at church. I'm a good person. Right, Jesus? I gave a little bit extra. I tithe. I do that. You know, I've done enough. And we don't even realize it, but we're just like the lawyer. We're desiring to justify ourselves. We're saying, well, Lord, where do I stack up? I stack up high enough. I've committed my life. I've studied the law. I've got my degree. I've got my job. My, my kids are all fed and clothed. And, you know, they sit still for, you know, at least five minutes at a time. Like, I'm doing great, Lord. Like, this is good enough. But when people look at us, can they tell? You know, is that something that just when you live your life, that should be, is that what explodes out of that? This loving others? Can you imagine a place where people, when they walked in and you could see Christ, where people were defined by their love for each other? When I was going through this and reading this passage and you know, I'm getting all teary-eyed and studying this, uh, this good Samaritan, which is meant to be a you know, contradiction, uh, this good communist, uh, I learned something that really jumped out at me is that we always talk about the man and the witch of these three, right? But there's actually a fifth character in this parable. If we go back and look at it, there's an innkeeper, right? He brings this, this man he's talking to at the innkeeper at the inn. I truly believe that so often a lot of us want to be innkeepers. And we really desire this, you know, I, I, if, you, if you go out and you find the man and you tend to his wounds, and you give him wine, and you take care of him, you bring him here, and equip me with everything I need, I'm going to take care of him. You set me up, I'm going to dunk on it, you know, 100%, all day long. You bring him in my house, you bring him in my church, you get him in the chairs, I'll love him then. You know, I'll, I'll make sure that he's fed and clothed and hugged on and prayed for once he's here. And once you've taken care of all the inconvenient things, right? But again... The innkeeper is not praised in this. Jesus doesn't say which of the. The innkeeper is not the good Samaritan. The innkeeper just does his job. That's it. That's it. Congratulations if you've done your job. You're an innkeeper. And I would really challenge us that if, we, if our mindset is that of the innkeepers, if, if we're satisfied with being the innkeeper, then we're not aspiring to be Christians. people a lot of times talk about is the glass half full or half empty, right? This idea of perspective and how we view things and fun, fun stuff, right? What's nice about that is it really helps since we've, most of us have thought about that, where we pick, what kind of person are we? It's easy to look at the scriptures and, and map them up. Are we someone who engages with our community and goes out there and looks at, well, I've got this much left. I've got this much time on my plate. I've got this much money left. I've got this much emotional bandwidth, right? Because we can only carry so many other people's problems. I've got my own problems to deal with, right? I can give you that much. Or before, it not, I can give you a little bit, but now it's inconveniencing me. It's getting in the way. I only have so much. This justification, this selfish and self-centered view of how we interact with others. 
Or instead, are we willing to go out there and pursue people? Instead of thinking about, well, if I initiate with them in their lives, what's it going to do to me? If I don't share with them, if I don't encourage them, if I don't feed them and clothe them and love them, what's going to happen to them? I think there's a really incredible moment when we start thinking less about ourselves and we start looking at others with compassion, like the Samaritan did. When you look at somebody walking out in the street, your neighbors, the people you work with, your kids do karate with, right? When you look at them with compassion and you think, well, if I don't love them, what's going to happen to them? Because how many other people have already walked on the other side of the road in their life? How many other people already looked at them and said, that's not my problem? I can't do that. But you can. You're right there on the road with them. So I challenge, challenge myself and I would challenge everyone to imagine that. Can you imagine a place where when you walked down the street, when you walk by the way, right, when you come into a building, there's people who are initiating in your life, who are going the extra mile to really love you, to put in every effort to love you, and to be invested in you to the point of self-sacrifice. Because I know that everything I pour out to you, he's going to fill me with tenfold. Right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for today, God. Thank you so much for just an incredible time to sing and praise and to just worship you and the goodness you're doing. Lord, just like we sang, Lord, build your kingdom here, Lord. Lord, let us be the light in the darkness. Lord, you called us to an apostleship. Lord, you called us to be ambassadors for you to go and change the world, right? And Lord, I pray you would use us. Lord, send us out in the full capacity you called us to. Lord, you know that every single man and woman and child you have called can change the world for your kingdom, God. And I pray that you just, not just inspire, but transform us. Lord, that we might be sanctified by you and go out and reach all these people that we might seek and save the lost for your glory. Thank you so much for today. And we lift you up, Jesus. Amen. And the next up, uh, so Tim's going to hop up and he's got some stuff he wants to, really cool. I, I, please pay attention. If you're not, super important. Uh, Thanks, man. You got it. <laughs> all right. So for those of you that know who I am, you know that I'm involved in the discipleship stuff around here a good bit. I help to organize and kind of see what's going on. And if I give you another pitch to say that this is a value, you may look at me and go, I've heard this before. So I brought a ringer. <laughs> so Paul's going to step up here. I, a couple of weeks ago, Doug started to pitch this idea that we have a new year of discipleship coming up. And this is a great way for you to walk forward. And when he announced it, from the crowd, very un-three taverns-like, I heard a hooting and hollering coming from the back row. And I thought to myself, there's someone who finally gets it with me. And, and so I went to Paul and I said, Paul, next time we talk about this, you got to come share. Because anybody that's that excited can certainly tell you guys something that maybe you haven't heard me say. Or maybe you've heard me say it, but it's a different way. Um, so, Paul, I'm going to get you to come on out here uh, and just share. Why were you hooting and hollering? So, okay, no more woos? You can woo-woo first <laughs> if you want to. Go for it. Um, because I enjoyed discipleship one. I've had fun. That's basically what it is. That's cool. What was and fun about it? I've, I've, 
a journey, really. I mean, I was, I was born and raised Catholic, but, you know, in Catholic Mass, you get, like, you know, two readings from the book of John, you know, and bye. And it's the first time I've actually read the book. <laughs> and it's a good book. Y'all ought to read it. It's a good book. Seriously, that's a, and, and I've had fun doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm in Galatians now. We're, we're getting towards the end. But I, I cheated. I took a peek at the end before I started reading. So. Uh, there's always but one in the crowd. Yeah, well, yeah I, I, did, I did. I did. But uh, no, I've had fun doing it. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to two. That's to why two. I wooed. Yeah. So, so, so we're excited because things that you thought you had done before, someone showed you an exciting way to do it, and you realize it's actually fun now. So fun, you're willing to do it again. Well, see, I'm not a reader. I, I don't read through. I, my wife has never seen me read an entire book. And this one I have. High five. I'm with you, dude. <laughs> it, if I've got to say anything else to get you excited, I'm at a loss for words. So I've got nothing else. Discipleship's coming up. If you don't know what we're actually talking about, we have a meeting that's going to be right after church on the 21st, so that's next week, um, and then I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it. At the end of the month, we'll start to put groups together, and we'll get started in February. So if you guys are excited, yeah, he's already signed up. He's already on the list. If you're excited, let me know. We'll get you on the list. If you want to know a little bit more, next Sunday after church, stop by. We'll do a quick little info thing, and he said it, not me. It's fun, and he wants to do it again. Hey guys, one last thing. So um, we've been doing our Wednesday workshops that started this past Wednesday. We have three more. They are going to go bold, smart, and happy where we've never been before. We broke up into teams and we answered some questions and we solved a problem. And we're going to do it again this week. So if you weren't there, come on, join a team. Any of the teams are open. It was awesome. It was inspiring and so exciting. It's going to be awesome again this week. We'd love to see you join us. Um, there's a Zoom link if you can't make it in person. So I'll make sure to post that again in the app. Or if you need it, you can come find me and I'll get it to you. And then on the 21st, after that discipleship meeting, we're going to have a low country boil. So at 3 o'clock, we're going to be hanging out. We're going to um, cook all the food, and then at 6, we're going to have a bonfire and a low country boil, and Keith told me it's really cold, but there's a bonfire, so it's going to be awesome. <laughs> you should all be there. It'll be fun. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you guys have a great week. I will see you Sunday and Wednesday. <laughs>